Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is using Adventure Church to speak into your life. If you have a story you'd like to share, please do so at adventure.church slash mystory. Also, if you'd like to support Adventure Church financially, you can do that online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each and every week. Now let's prepare to hear a word from God. Good morning. I wish you could have been on the video shoot for that video. I really do, because we had to cut Justin Quisenbing's theology off at certain points. That's why I kind of went in and out. If only you could have heard his descriptions of heaven. Like, he's like, it's bright lights, and then there's unicorns. And Addie, his daughter, she needs to be in here for this series as much as any of us. Well, hey, my name is Jake Worth. I'm the associate pastor here. Uh, I get the privilege of speaking today as we continue on in this series. Is this the end? Apocalyptic conversation. What happens to us when we die? Aren't you so glad you went to church today? It's so great to have you here. And Pastor Kyle started us off right talking about the return of Christ. And we've got a lot of reason to be excited because Jesus is coming back and he's not just coming back saying what's up like he did last time, but he's taking us with him when he leaves. And we are going to go in eternity and spend forever with God. And so in light of eternity, live for eternity. And as I get things kicked off here, I want to go old school preacher technique here, okay? Like uh, I want to open up with an end times joke, Okay, I know I was when I was when you were growing up, but when I was growing up, it was like, man, if the pastor told a joke, that was like the biggest deal. Okay, I'm gonna tell this joke, but you gotta promise me something you have to laugh. Okay, because there is nothing more terrifying than giving a joke on a platform in front of hundreds of people and having it flop. Okay, so nod your head, you're gonna laugh. Great, there's two pastors and they're standing on the side of the road. And they're holding together this sign that has big red letters, and it says, the end is near. Turn back now. And their intent was that everybody driving by would see this sign. And, of course, the first car comes up and sees the sign, starts to slow down. The guy rolls down his window. He leans his head out the window, and he yells, you religious nuts, leave us alone. Rolls up his window, speeds off, and takes the curve. And just seconds later, the pastors hear a big screeching of tires. And a loud splash. At this point, the pastor looks to his friend and says, do you think the sign should say bridge out instead? <laughs> you promised. Ah, okay. That's some, just, that's some good Christian wholesome fun right there. Well, hey, as we get going today, I've got a request. I make this request every time. I want you to preach with me, okay? If something resonates in your soul, I need you to talk back. Parents, you know the scariest moment in your house? is when there's silence. Yeah, that's like one of the scariest moments up on stage. And so you can say whatever you want, amen, whatever. You can say, hey, I'm not sleeping. And I'll say, that's at least a start, okay. And in fact, we're going to do some talking with our neighbors as well. You're going to have a lot of opportunities to get to know the person and, you know, to the side of you. And so if that really rubs you the wrong way, don't blame me for who you sat next to. All right, so in fact, turn to your neighbor right now and say, I'm glad I'm sitting next to you. And if you've never met them before, awkward. <laughs> You're welcome. I just introduced you to a new friend. We're going to get into some scripture today, and it's going to be a large portion of scripture. And so we're going to take a couple pit stops along the way. And there's going to be some wording that probably is going to go over your head. Yes, you're not going to understand 
Don't freak out, okay? Don't get up, storm out. See, God's just trying to confuse us. We're going to talk about it. Cool? All right. First Corinthians, actually, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10. It'll be up on the screen. You've got it on your phone if you want it. Or if you're old school, brought a Bible, that's great too. For we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan. We're longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Now, real quick, so that word doesn't distract you. What he's saying is when you die, you're not going to be a spirit without a body. The Corinthians here, they kind of had a Casper approach to their theology that you die. Here's kind of this spirit roams around talking to teenage girls. Okay, no, no, he's like, you're going to get a body. All right, check. Verse 4. For while we are in this tent, we groan. And our burden, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead of our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He's saying, listen, uh, we're not looking forward to death. I'm not looking forward to dying. But when you realize that death is but a door to something greater, it's something to get excited about almost. Where you're not passionate about the process. You don't have to be passionate about the pain in your lives. But when you know that God is utilizing it to get you somewhere better, it changes your perspective. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And verse 6, and this is really going to be the portion of Scripture that we're going to concentrate on today. Therefore, we are always, say this word with me, wow, that was like the least confident way of saying the word confident. Let's try that again. Therefore, we are always Oh, man, we are a confident group of people today. And know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things that we've done while in the body whether good or bad. Today, I want to really just reintroduce what I think Paul is giving here today, which is three keys to confidence. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm feeling confident this morning. I'm feeling confident. I've got my skinny jeans on. You had your almond milk latte this morning. I'm feeling confident. In fact, tell your neighbor, I'm feeling confident. I'm feeling confident because God has a word for me. You believe that? You believe that this morning? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you do have a word for us. God, we thank you that you're not a silent God. You sure aren't in the grave, Lord God, but you're living and you're well. And you've got a vibrant word today that wants to change our lives. If you want that, say amen. 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 And so in this scripture, Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. It's a church that he planted. And if you don't know who Paul is, uh, don't worry. I'll speed you up. Okay, my parents funded 13 years of Christian education, okay, so that you didn't have to go through it, all right? So let's go back to Paul. Paul is arguably the most influential person to the Christian movement, second only to Jesus, okay? And just a spoiler alert, like, Jesus does not really like being second 
in the race, okay? In your life, if you ever feel like there's a disconnect with him, if you ever feel like that you aren't on the same page, I just can't seem to hear from God, your best first step, real quick, easy application is get God in the lead position, okay? Uh, Cavs fans, Cavs fans, playoffs, finals coming up, okay? God is not Kevin Love. You don't just give him the rock when he is wide open for a three, all right? He is not a bench player. He is not a role player. He is your team captain. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so Paul, Paul, Paul is fine with being second fiddle to Jesus because God did something amazing in his life. Paul went on to do amazing things for God. But if you know about Paul, he didn't start out too hot. Like Paul had what we in the Christian circle call a past. He had some things that he did. Like in Paul's high school yearbook, you know, seniors, seniors, I think it's called the senior superlative page, you know, where it says, you know, Lucy, she is most likely to go on. Like you would have been reading down in Bible times. You would have found Peter. Peter would have been on there. Peter was one of Jesus' boys' disciple. He was the one that the church was built on. Peter would have been on there would have said, Peter, most likely to drop a four-letter word in a sermon. Because he was a fisherman. He was a sailor. He was still working on his potty mouth while he was in ministry. Okay, you had John. John was another one of Jesus' homeboys, another one of the disciples that walked around. Then you'll find John there. And we said, John, most likely to mention that he was Jesus' favorite in every conversation. Because if you read through the book of John, every time he refers to himself in the third person as the one that Jesus loved. Ah, there was Peter, there was James, and there was the one that Jesus loved. And if you scroll down, you would have found Paul. Mean, mug-faced Paul, most likely to grieve the Holy Spirit. Because, because get this, as Christianity is starting, Jesus went down into the grave. He did not stay down. He got back up. All of a sudden, everyone's like, it was for real. Jesus was who he said he was. He did what he said he was going to do, and they start spreading the word. But as the word is spreading, Paul is not leading the march. No, no, no. Paul is the leading opposition to the early church. In Acts 8, a guy named Luke writes a book, and he says this. He says this. He says that Paul was going everywhere. He was going into houses. He was grabbing Christians by their feet, pulling them out, and murdering them. That's a past. And as, the, as he continues to go around and, and he's, he's scattering the believers, the believers are running for their lives. But as they're running for their lives, they're still carrying with them the good news. They're still carrying with them the gospel message. And so as the early church scatters, the gospel message spreads. Because how many of you have ever learned that oftentimes in order for God to develop you, he has to hand you some discomfort? Come on, somebody. You got through something, you didn't understand it while it was happening until you got on the other side and you found out it was the only way that God could grow you. But God had bigger plans for Paul, not just to work in spite of him, but God had a plan for Paul. And something amazing happened to Paul. Somebody say what had happened was, what had happened was Paul meets Jesus. 
He's on the Damascus Road. He's got warrants in his pocket. He's about to go into another city and raid it and murder Christians. He is about to go cast some more opposition to the cause of Christ, and Christ opposes him. Bam! Jesus is right in front of him. Big, bright, heavenly lights. Not light, like, you know, this little light of my light, like all of the lights. Like it was like, it was a big deal. And Paul is blinded. He falls back. Jesus speaks to him and says, Why are you persecuting? me Saul because that was his name before he met Jesus because when you meet Jesus and he comes into your life he changes you all the way down to your very identity he says Saul why are you persecuting me and Paul responds who that who's this sorry who are you I am Jesus the one that you're persecuting get up and I will tell you what to do don't miss this don't miss this God will confront your plans before he leads you to his God will confront what you've been trying to do in your life. And maybe, maybe now you're starting to get some clarity why things haven't worked out in certain areas. Because if they worked out, you would have been out of the way of God. It's like, no, no, i got to stop you dead in your tracks right here. I've got bigger plans for you. And as a result, Paul goes on to write almost half of the New Testament. Goes on to share the gospel with people that had never gone to before. Which brings us to 2 Corinthians where Paul is encouraging a group of believers who are going through some stuff. They've got struggles. The city Corinth is a a strategic place. There's money going in and out. There's, There's so much commerce going in and out. But they've got issues, just like us here in Lewis Center, Ohio. And Paul is trying to encourage them. And by way of encouraging them, he's telling them, listen, I know you're going through some stuff. But you got to start thinking about where you're going. I know, I, I know you're facing some difficulties right now. But right now, what you are going through pales in comparison to where God is taking you. And so he begins to share with them a vision that God gave him about the afterlife. And he's giving them this vision not to stack up their theology, okay? He, he's not giving them this vision so that they can add some more Christianese words to their lingo, you know, go to the Christian potlucks and, hey, judgment seat, guys, if you know about that one. No, no, no. But he's giving them this vision because he wholeheartedly believes that if they caught a glimpse of what God has in store for them, it would change the way that they lived. And I like this. I, I love what Paul's doing here. I like the, how he starts it out with this tent talk. He's like, he starts comparing this body to his tent, which makes sense. Paul was a tent maker. And so he's like, hey guys, this is this body that you got. It's like one of the tents that I make, okay? It might be nice, but it is not built to last, all right? Some of y'all got some really nice tents. You do. You got like the six-person Coleman Weathermaster, okay? Great tent. Screened-in porch. Hello, somebody. I'll go camping with you if you got one of those. You got a nice stand, but hey, 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 listen, listen, it is not going to stand the test of time, but that's okay. God's got you. Because what he has in store for you is a brand new body. We're not talking about Chip and Joanna, Demo and Reno, okay? We are talking like, don't even bother bringing in your iPhone 3, sir, because there is an 8S available, Okay? A brand new body, and this is what this means for us. It means no more suffering. Somebody over the age of 35 with some arthritis, say amen. No more pain. 
No more struggle. Because this body, this body causes some struggles. No more mourning. And no more death. I like that. And I like he keeps on going on. Verse 6, he says, we're confident. Verse 7, he says, we're walking by faith. Verse 8, he says, no, we're really confident. We're not yet where we want to be. Well, we're still confident with where we're at. I like all this. I like verse 9. I like that he wants to aim to please God. But then when he gets to verse 10, this is where I get jarred. This is where I get stuck. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things that we have done while in the body, whether good or bad. Do we have time for some teaching? Okay, can we settle it down for a second? Okay. Can we go back into the classroom? Okay. Middle school and high school students are like, oh, learning again. Life is a learning experience. Buckle up. All right. Let's go. I'm going to stick right here. Right here. Here in verse 10, Paul is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. It is a point in time after the rapture. Jesus comes and gets us where we will go back with him and we will stand before God and our entire lives will be assessed. The judgment seat of Christ, and when you and I first think of judgment, we think of what? Judge Judy, right? 10 a.m., Monday through Friday. We're thinking innocent or guilty, but that's not what Paul's getting at here. Rather, he's using a different meaning of the Greek word bema. Everybody say bema. Bema. He's not talking about innocent or guilty. What he's talking about here is he's talking about a judgment, the type of judgment that racers, racers experience after they complete their race and they get rewarded for how they did, but not necessarily penalized for not coming in the top 10. And it's really, really, really here clear to point out that this is not a judgment between heaven and hell. That would be the white throne judgment. And this is where we're getting deep. Are you ready? Buckle up. Where God will separate those who believed in him and those who didn't. Those who believed in him, who received him, and those who refused to receive him. Those who believed him will go to heaven and will experience all of this. And those who didn't receive Jesus... We'll spend eternity in hell, separation from God. And that's heavy stuff. That right there, that's heavy. And when you think about it, it's like, how, 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 how could I, I can't understand that. But then when you start to think about it, it's like, all we have to do is receive it? All I have to do is, is accept you? That's not Paul, what Paul's getting at here. He's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. He's talking about our believers, those who have accepted Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, he gives us a more clear illustration of what this is going to look like. And he starts talking about how as believers here on this earth, we are building something. We are building a structure that when we face Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, it will be tested by fire to prove what was good and what was bad. What was honorable to God, what was meaningless and pointless, take us there, 1 Corinthians 3. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burnt up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, 
but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. At the judgment seat of Christ, we receive rewards for the good things that we've done. When Paul uses the word bad, he's using it as meaningless, at pointless. That when we stand before God, he's going to reward us for living for him, and he's not going to punish us for not, for those moments that we wasted. Because here's the deal, he already sealed that condemnation. If you know Romans 8.1, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Rewards for what we've done right. And as for those things that we've wasted, the times that we weren't living for him, it just simply takes away from the rewards. And you're looking at me right now and you're saying, what are these rewards that you speak of, Pastor Jake? Well, let's get into that. Throughout the New Testament, the writers remain fairly vague about what these rewards look like, to which you're saying, great, another generality. Great, I love this. I love how God never seems to give us the specifics, but if you've walked with God for any amount of time, you have found that God often withholds full disclosure of his plan in order to further your faith. And in a world where very little makes sense, Faith trumps info. Faith trumps details. But we do get some insight. In Matthew 6, 20, we read that heavenly treasure will, that will never decay or break down. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul expresses that when all of our actions are brought into the light, we receive recognition from God. I think that's pretty exciting. I mean, think about how much we work for the recognition of our parents of our boss, of our wife, of our spouse, the perfect and holy God is going to recognize me, I'll take that deal. Luke 19, Jesus himself speaks that we will be given special responsibilities and authority, and some of us are thinking, aka work. We're talking about life-fulfilling work. Can you imagine working somewhere where all you ever do is feel fulfilled? And I already feel that working here at Adventure Church, so I've already got a foretaste of this, okay? How are we doing on the judgment seat? We're doing good? We're doing all right? You guys feel like you got a, a good grasp? Feel like you're ready to go over to your friend's house and be like, fear the Bama! You know, repent, turn around! It's like those two pastors. But that's not what Paul's approach is here, surprisingly. Paul doesn't come and he's not talking about the judgment seat. And he's not saying, dude, run for your lives, try to evade it if you need to be. But that's not what he says. What does he say prior to that two times? I'm confident. Hmm. I'm confident about going there. I'm confident about what's going to be there when I get there. Am I the only one that hearing that there's going to be a full evaluation of my life started to sweat? I mean, for real? Like, is it going to go all on the big screen? We're just all going to watch it? Every second. Every minute. Some of y'all are like, God, you can look at my nine to five, but there is no reason to look into my nightlife. There ain't nothing there, God. And yet Paul, he's like, I'm confident about this, which I think is comical. Because do we not just talk about how Paul used to kill Christians? The guy that killed Christians is confident. Hmm. Which makes me believe that Paul's got to have something that I and maybe you tend to miss. The guy that, that killed Christians, he's got confidence. He says, he doesn't just say that he has confidence, he says, we. He's saying, you should have it too. 
And so I'm hoping that he gives it to us, and I believe he does. Actually, I'm very thankful because Paul makes it really, really plain. Somebody say, make it plain, Paul. Make it plain. But we got to go back, and we got we to get into this word in verse 6. We'll start here. Therefore, we are always confident. He's confident about where he's going. And we know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from God. For, this is the key here, for we live by faith, not by sight. Everybody, put out your hands real quick. Put your hands, put your hands. This is the first key of confidence. There you go. All right, it's like giving the 16-year-old the keys for the very first time. All right, drive slow. All right, take the turns easy. Speaking of cars, anybody got a nice, nice sports car? Anybody? You got to raise your hand. Like, this isn't a time, like, this is not a trick question. We're like, oh, you're going to hell. No, no, like, having a nice sports car does not mean that you are going to hell, all right? It just means you might get to heaven a little bit faster. All right, who's got a nice sports car? You don't have to raise your hand. All right, great, great, great. Can you put just any type of gasoline in your sports car? Just any type, any, any type, any type. No, 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 no. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I'm senior in high school. I'm going to my junior-senior banquet, all right, which confused you all because you ain't got no idea what junior-senior banquet is because you went to prom. You didn't go to any bitty little Christian school. Well, we had a junior-senior banquet because we did not want to associate with the pagan rituals that you all experienced in your public schools, okay? <laughs> there was no dancing. There was no music. But we had a great time. <laughs> we really did. I'm on my way to junior-senior banquet, but I'm not riding in my car because I picked up some of my public school friends. They say, no, you got to get a nice car that night, man. Do you have a date? Absolutely not. We're not allowed to date in high school. Okay, well, just still get a nice car, man, okay? And so Brad Etzel was very generous enough to lend me his SRT4. Anybody know what an SRT4 is? It was the most affordable way to get to 250 horsepower. Get this, a Dodge Neon with a turbo. I mean, that's, what, that's what it was, all right? And so I'm riding around, all right? I'm driving this SR, SRT4, and, and all of a sudden, I've got to put fuel in it. And so I pull over, I go over to the speedway, and I reach for the 87, right? That's what I've been used to filling up my Saturn SL2 with the plastic sides. How do I know they were plastic? Because it got hit, and that thing shattered like a Lego, Okay. <laughs> And so I reached for the 87, not knowing that such a car requires a higher fuel grade. And so for the rest of the night, that car didn't run so well. Here's what I'm getting at. Some of us are struggling to have confidence because we are trying to live off of a fuel that is two grades too low. Paul, Paul is like, I got confidence because I'm not running off of what I see anymore. I'm not fueling my life with what's going on around me, but rather I'm running on faith. Somebody say, check your tank. Check your tank. Because some of y'all been going through some stuff, and you've been going through a stormy season in your life, and you've been swayed, and you've been jarred, and you feel like you're running on empty, but it's not because you're empty. It's because you're trying to run off of the circumstances. It's because you're allowing what you're in to fuel how you live. But if you ever caught a glimpse of what it looks like to run on faith, somebody say, I'm running on faith. I'm running on faith. Don't, don't just say it regular. Say it like Forrest Gump would say it. I'm running on faith, okay? Because if Bubba and Lieutenant Dan were here, 
They would say, stop living your lives within the limitations of what somebody said about you. Stop living your lives based upon what your mom and your dad said about you 20 years ago and that still is in your membrane. Stop living your lives based on what your ex-wife said about you and start stepping into the faith in what God said about you, what God promised you, what God said you'd do. Because when you start running on that type of faith, you'd be amazed at how much further you would go. And Paul's got confidence because he's running on this fuel. Paul's got confidence because he knows he's got the fuel to get him there. Paul doesn't just have fuel. He's got a zone in and distraction-free focus. So we are always confident, verses 6 through 9 again, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home in the Lord. We live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies. For then we will be at home in the Lord. Here it is. So whether we are in this body or away from this body, our goal... Our aim, our focus, is to please him. Pastor Andy Stanley from North Point Church has an amazing quote. This is what he says. He says, direction, not intention, determines your destination. That's good. Somebody say, that's good. I'll say, that's good. That's good. It's not my stuff, so I can say, man, that's really good. I mean, that's just really good. Let me extrapolate on that for a second. If you know where your destination is, why are you not letting your destination to determine your direction. Free parenting advice from a 29-year-old that doesn't have kids yet? Sure. (laughs) You will create a car full of demon-possessed children if you say to your family, hey, we're going to Disneyland, and then you pack them up the next morning, you grab their little juices and their little, you know, Power Rangers coloring books, and you get them in the car, and you hit the road, and then you refuse to look at Google Maps. (laughs) Dad, are we there yet? I don't know. Just believing for it, guys. <laughs> Come on, let's close our eyes and imagine what Mickey will be like. <laughs> it's amazing how, how long I live my life. Let's just full disclosure here. Amazing how long I live my life with a vision of marriage, believing that I wanted to be married, believing that God had that in store for me. <laughs> but my focus was on living in single guy habits, <laughs> living the single life. And it's amazingly sad how so many of us can set up targets in our life, goals in our life, aim in our life, and we never allow where we want to get affect how we live. We never let it reach into our habits. We never let it reach into how we live our lives. And I think this is a difficult thing for Christians, this this idea of focus, because here's what I think happens. You have an encounter with Jesus You're there, you're good, you're with God, but because you've been brainwashed to believe that life with God is all about life against things and life away from things, you spend all your energy and all of your focus running from things while never looking towards where you're going. This explains why sometimes you go back to that relationship. This explains why you've been trying to beat that addiction. But you keep on tripping up because here's the thing. If your focus is on what you're fleeing and you're not focusing on where you're going, it will only be a matter of time before you trip. And God did not design us to be tripping on anything. And so what do we do? We do what Paul says in Colossians 3.1. He says, I'm going to set my sights on the realities of heaven. 
I'm not just going to think about it. I'm not just going to dream about it. I'm setting my gaze on heaven. That's what I'm looking towards. All of a sudden, I'm letting God's will to define the direction of my compass. And I'm going to start making it my aim in everything that I do to honor and glorify God. And what is exciting about this is when you start taking that step and you start allowing God's will and what would please God to define how you live your life, this is so awesome, is you will develop an appetite for it. Jesus says this, hunger and thirst after righteousness. We've all got a hunger. The problem is that so many of us spend our lives trying to satisfy it in everything else. But when you catch catch i would call it an acquired taste because it doesn't just it doesn't happen naturally let me just clear that up it is not natural because we are in a broken body that's why we got to get rid of this thing but you can acquire a taste for god in in a way that all of a sudden everything else don't look so good i love chick-fil-a oh i love it would you know would somebody please tell them that jesus healed a blind man on the sabbath they can feed the hungry like, I love Chick-fil-A. Talking about heaven, we're talking about heaven's nectar, that Polynesian sauce. Oh, my goodness. I love Chick-fil-A. But when my father-in-law over Easter weekend said that he was taking myself, my wife, and my parents out to dinner, and he said, listen, we are going to the Avenue. It is downtown. It is a Cameron Mitchell's place. All of a sudden, it changed my appetite. Now, I had never been there. It was a new place. But my father-in-law has proven time and time again that he knows food. So here's what happened. I kid you not. When my parents flew in that day and they said they were hungry, they just wanted to grab a quick bite, I asked, where do you want to go? Where do you think they want to go for lunch? Chick-fil-A. How many of y'all know I passed on Chick-fil-A? Because I had focus. I knew what I was building towards. Yeah, Paul's got fuel to get him there. He's got the focus because he knows where he's going and what's going to get him there. But Paul's got one more point. You better believe Paul's got one more point for us this morning. But we got to go back to get it. Because it's right before the verses in 1 Corinthians about how our lives will be tried by fire. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. If the work survives, that builder will receive a war. But if the work is built up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through the wall of flames, Paul is saying that, listen, what you and I build up will vary. But in these verses before this, where he's going to make it very, very clear, is there is no question about what you should be building your life on. He goes back to verse 10 and he says, By grace God has given me, I have laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. He's saying, listen, I've showed you the foundation. I've showed you, I've shown you what to build your lives on. And I don't want to leave any, any room for misinterpretation. Verse 11, but each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, our firm foundation. Paul's making it really, really clear here. You want to be confident? You can't build your life just on anything. You want to be confident? Let me spell it out for you just real, real simply. J-E-S-U-S. 
only one that was capable of laying down a foundation for our lives. And here's the best news. And this is, this is really what motivated the early church when they got going. This is what gave Paul his confidence. And this is what can give us our confidence in this moment, right here, right now. He already laid it down. The foundation has already been set. He is waiting for us to build on it. It was good ground. He dug deep. Because after 33 years of living a life that was without error, without blemish, without a speck of sin, you want to know where that life led him? You want to know where after he was whipped, he was flogged, he was beaten, and a crown of thorns was pressed into his head, and as the Jewish priests were trying to bait Pilate and saying, you got to crucify this guy, he's nuts. You want to know where Jesus stood You want to know? You want to know? Jesus stood before a large platform. He stood there, the perfect son of God. And he stood there as this Roman governor named Pilate begins to walk up on the platform. The man who in this moment seemingly looks like he's got the control of what happens to Jesus. He decides. As Pilate walks across the platform, he sits down. But he didn't sit in just any seat. The seat that Pilate sat down in has a very specific name. I think you already know what it is. Take us to John. John 19, 13. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat. You see, in order to create a confident way for us to approach the judgment seat of Christ, Christ had to stand confidently before the judgment seat of Pilate. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. In order for you and I to have any hope, Jesus had to come and he had to lay his life down. In order for you and I to live and live fully and freely, Jesus had to die. In order for us to get to the judgment seat and get this, I still can't wrap my mind around this, and receive rewards, you're gonna, God's going to gift us something. In order for us to receive rewards for what we've done right, Jesus, Jesus received death after doing nothing wrong. 